Very good. All right, Jonah chapter 1 is where we're going to be. One of the most probably well-known stories in all of the Bible. Um, certainly a prophet that we know of, one who ran from the Lord. But yet there's a tremendous amount of uh, applications that we can get through it. And I hope that God will uh, give us some insight on what we can learn from his mistakes so that we don't make the same mistakes Although we've all made some of the same mistakes he's made, no doubt, but uh, hopefully God will use this for the next several weeks as we look at uh, his life and his story. So let's open with prayer. Lord, we thank you tonight. Thank you, Lord, even for the story. It's, uh, it's not one that had a good ending. But you certainly used Jonah, and not only did you use him, but you used him as an illustration of your death, burial, and resurrection. And so we thank you, Lord, that you can even take the bad parts of our lives and redeem them for something good. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who wants to continue to use every single one of us, wants us to remain faithful to you. And Lord, just like Jonah, you've given every one of us a call of God in our lives to do something and Maybe there's something that you want us to be doing right now that we're not doing or we've been waving on doing or maybe we've even said I'm not going to do that. Um, so Lord, through it, just teach us um, what we can do to become more like you. Uh, show us, Lord, if there's any acts of rebellion in our heart like he had. And uh, we know, Lord, those things creep up into our hearts and lives all the time. So help us, Lord, in the next several weeks as we look at uh, this story and we would thank you for it. Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's read them, and then I want to get some backstory on Jonah, who he is, what this book is all about. It sets it up really good in the first two verses, but there's a lot that goes on in these two verses uh, that we often just kind of skip over. It's just like, well, it just tells us the background, but we just usually move on to verse 3 and the following, but, but let's pause for a moment and look at this. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now when you think about that, we know the story, we know Jonah is a prophet, but what do you know about Jonah? What do we know Maybe what you've studied before, who he was, where he's from, what's going on in his life. Who is Jonah? So what does this tell us in the text? Okay. So we don't really know who that is. He gives us his name. His father's Amittai or T, whatever. Um, we know that. Um, but we don't know much about him. What else do we know about Jonah? He's a prophet, right? We know he's a prophet. It doesn't technically say he's a prophet here. But how do we know he's a prophet? The word of the Lord came to him. So, so God gave him a message to then go tell the people in the city of Nineveh. Now, he's already been a prophet. Hold your place here. It doesn't tell us here, but if you want to put a note down, you can ever, you know, reference this another time as you study it. Second Kings 
chapter 14. 2 Kings 14. We'll come right back here. 2 Kings 14, verse number 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and reigned forty and one years. This is Jeroboam the second. There were two Jeroboams. This is Jeroboam the second. And he did, Jeroboam the second, king of Israel, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the enemy of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord, God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. So, 2 Kings gives us a little more information about Jonah. Not much, but a little bit more. So what else do we know about Jonah according to these verses? Well, we know he's a prophet. It says that. He's a prophet. Same thing, he's the son of Amittai. Um, what else do we find out about Jonah in that passage? Verse 25. Okay, he's the northern kingdom, right? So you, so you had, he, he's a contemporary of uh, Hosea and, um, not Hosea, is it Hosea? I think it's Hosea and Amos in the north as prophets and uh, Isaiah in the south. So that's around the same time, which gives us some, uh, he's under the, the reign of Jeroboam. So it's around 760 BC. So 760 years before Jesus comes is when Jonah is ministering. And we get that because of the time frame when Jeroboam II is ruling. There's one other thing we see in verse 25. So he's from northern Israel. Um, he's under the reign of Jeroboam. Um, he's, a, he's a prophet or a, a contemporary. No, I put it down there. It's a, he's a contemporary of Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. So Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. What other, we, what other thing do we know in verse number 25? Okay, so we've got Hebrew, which is about three miles from Nazareth. So, um, that's kind of where he's from. That's his father. Uh, Amittai really means truth. So, whether he was a man of truth, we're not sure. Most likely he was a, a, one who uh, was living for the Lord. Jonah is one who is working for the Lord as a prophet, telling other people about God. He's been sent on, obviously, many missions in his life to go tell people, thus saith the Lord. Um, he, he, he's uh, under the reign of Jeroboam. So, as we know that, what was life like in Israel for the average Hebrew living in Jonah's day? So stop and think about, what do we know about Jeroboam? What, what kind of king was he? Evil. Very evil king. He's doing that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. What's going on? in Israel as a whole in that day. Remember I said it was in the year 760? 
something significant happened in 722. Remember that? So about 30 years down the road, the Assyrian captivity, where the Assyrians come to northern Israel and take them captive, sets up Samaria, brings in people from Assyria, and sets it all up. It's just a, it's a total mess. And why did they go into the Assyrian captivity? Because they're sins, right? God kept telling the people of Israel, if you don't get your hearts right with me, I'm going to send the enemy, and they're going to come plunder you and take you captive. Well, they did that with the Assyrian captivity for the northern kingdom, and then they did that in 586 with the southern kingdom a hundred years later, uh, and took them captive to Babylon. So this is northern kingdom. This is where he's from. Um, and... And so what's the average Hebrew doing? What's their life like in Israel in that time? So 30 years from one captivity. The kingdom, yeah. So the kings helping the people become evil, right? Because what you see coming out of the palace, so to speak, and the direction that he is leading the people. Um, he's not a godly king. He's following other kings that weren't godly. And and so the, the general tenor of the nation in that day is evil. And so when the general tenor of the nation is evil, what happens to God's people? Do they typically rise higher and shine brighter? Or does it typically go the other way? Peer pressure. Okay, peer pressure. So, so if if the world is evil and it gets more evil, and God's people are supposed to go the other way, if they keep getting more evil and God's people are here, typically what happens to God's people? Do they stay the same? Or culturally? Do we just stay one step behind the world? Isn't that typically what happens? Not just in them, but in every scenario across the entire you know, span of history. That's typically what happens is God's people or the church typically stays one step behind the world. Now that hasn't happened in our culture, has it? We, we see it everywhere, don't we? And um, we've got to be careful. Um, that we don't stay one step behind the world, but we continue to stay godly and holy in, in our walk with Him. Um, but you see it across the world today in, in, in people who call themselves Christians who many times live anything but what a Christian should, should be. So again, the average life, were they going to the temple weekly? Probably, right? Sacrificing? Probably. But what did God say? They worship you with their lips. Their heart's far from them. Um, so, so again, there was, a, there was a problem among God's people, and yet, through it all, Jonah was faithful. Jonah was a prophet who continued to serve the Lord and was faithful in, in all that he did, and God continued to use him in a great way. 
And yet, there was a lot of religious hypocrisy going on, but not with Jonah. How do we know Jonah wasn't a hypocrite? God spoke to him. Said, I need you to serve me in another place. Again, some of these prophets, we don't know Jonah's life, but some prophets, you know, were, were farmers. And God would say, hey, I've got a mission for you. And then they would go and they would preach. And then they would go back to David. And then they would go on another mission. And it, maybe that's where Jonah was. He was, maybe he had some other occupation. And yet God said, okay, here's my next mission. And whenever God said, here's my next mission, he's like, I'm there. I'll do it. I'm, I'm going to serve you no matter what. So we get to this mission. So what does God command him? Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Is it different than most of the messages he would have ever preached? Isn't that typically what a prophet would do? God said, judgment is coming. You better get right. Because if you don't, you're going to be under his wrath. And it was just different time, different place. But same message. Most of the prophets, they didn't have a whole lot of creativity. Um, it was the same message over and over and over again. Remember Micaiah, the prophet? And what did Ahab say? He always says the same thing. <coughs> Can't we find a different prophet? I'm like, yeah, there's plenty of other prophets that will tell you what you want to hear. Just flip on, what's that Christian station, you know, that's on TV. You know, there's going to be some that will tell you whatever you want to hear. And there's going to be some that will tell you what the Bible says. And a faithful prophet would tell you what God said. And that was Jonah. He's faithful, living for God, serving God in a great way. And God said, next mission, I want you to go to Nineveh. Great city, cried against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. So we'll look at a couple of maps here, show you where Nineveh is. So if you look over here, this is Nineveh. It's about 250 miles north of Babylon. We hear Babylon all the time, uh, but that's where Nineveh is at. This is the whole area of Assyria. They were a massive kingdom. Here's Israel over here. Um, I'll give you a better map. There's Joppa where he goes down and takes the ship to go to Tarshish. I'll give you another map here. Don't you wish you moved forward now? Can you see it? So again, here's Nineveh. It's a little closer map. Uh, modern day Iraq, you get Syria. Again, Israel here. And again, he gets, he's living up here. He gets on a boat down here and goes over this way. One more, I think. A little closer. So again, you see Nazareth. Whoops, back up. All right, there you go. Nazareth is here. So right around here is where he's from. He comes down here, gets a little boat to go to Joppa, to go this way. All right, this is the last one. This is a good picture. So there's <laughs> Joppa. There's Nineveh, 550 miles away. And he gets on a boat to go to Spain, 2,500 miles away. So, 
Why did he do this? Who's, who are the Ninevites? Why didn't he want to go preach this message? He didn't want to repent. And here's John, he understood this. If I go tell them God's message, there's one of two things that are going to happen. Either I'm going to preach the message, they're going to say, no, thank you, and God's going to send judgment upon them. Or I'm going to preach the message, they're going to repent, they're going to get right with God. And I don't want that to happen. Why would a prophet ever say, I don't want that to happen. And we know that from as you get to the end of the book, that's kind of what he said. Lord, I told you this was going to happen. I told you if I go preach, they would repent and get right with you, and I'm angry. Why was he so angry at the Ninevites? Because you had the Moabites, you had, the, you know, the, the uh, many of the other uh, the Ammonites, you had so many ungodly people that maybe Jonah had the privilege to go and serve God and tell them the truth, and some repented and some didn't. But why the Ninevites? Well, there's a, probably a good reason for that. Uh, Nineveh is a huge city, um, major capital city. Um, for, for many, many years, the king of Assyria would come down, send his army down into northern Israel and say, hey, we want your money and we want your food. And they were a powerful army, and they would come down, and, and the Israelites were like, we don't want to give you. They're like, well, that's okay, we're just going to take it. And so they would take whatever they want, plunder the nation, and then go back home. And Israel would, you know, again, the next year, they would, you know, work hard, and they would come down. They wouldn't kill people. They would just kill people, take their stuff, and go back home. And they were a wicked people. Um, some of the things that they would do is they would, um, in, in their anger and their brutality of other people, they would just come down, they would cut people's hands, feet, noses, and, and lips off, just for sport. Um, the kings of Assyria would often bring prisoners back, and they would impale them on poles, douse them in some type of lighter fluid, and then they would set them on fire to serve as lanterns in their courtyards. That's the type of people these were. Now, if they're doing this over and over and over again, do you think maybe Jonah and some friends that were taken captive or killed, or their things were plundered by the Assyrians? Again, we don't know, but most likely. So the city of Nineveh, it's 60 miles in circumference. It had walls that were 100 feet high, 50 feet wide. It was an impenetrable city as far as man was concerned. And yet Jonah knew, if I go and preach there, they're probably going to hear the word of God and repent. Or, if I go there, they might do the same thing to me. We, we don't know. It doesn't really tell us. There's probably a lot of folks going through his head. Again, when we think about, you know, what people have done to us, sometimes it's hard to love others. It's easy to love others to love us back, right? But to love people that 
live ungodly, wicked lives and do things to hurt other people constantly, it's hard to love them. And yet, God says to Jonah, this is what I think of them. So what did God think of them? What did he call the city? Great city. It's a great city, right? Great because it's, hey, that's a, they've done a great job of building those walls, a lot of architecture. It's just, a, it's just a, I would hate to see that destroyed. Is that what God's thinking? What's that? Large. It's large, right? And a large city has a lot of people in it. And God said, I don't want those people to, to be judged. God is not willing that any should perish. People will. God doesn't want that. And so despite all of that, God loved them. And so, again, there's, we can stop right there, just the two verses there. But in those two verses, what are, some, what are some things that we can apply to our lives today that are similar to Jonah's day? Because the culture is probably similar, right? They were not as wicked as the Ninevites. But was Jonah's culture in northern Israel probably similar to what we face today in America? Probably. We don't know exactly how bad it was, but um, it, it was it was ironic. The other day, I want to break something about this, but if you saw the football game the other night when that young man, you know, stopped breathing and, you know, the whole world, the whole sports world came to a halt and everybody was watching and, you know, we're watching on and praying for him and and everybody that came on was saying, man, our thoughts and prayers are with him. Thoughts and prayers are with him. Thoughts and prayers are with him. And I'm like, why won't somebody pray? Just pray. And nobody would pray. You know why? Because most of the sportscasters are commenting. Most of them don't even know how to pray. If you were to say to them, hey, can you pray? They'd probably say, I don't know how to pray. But my thoughts and prayers are with him. One guy that I know of, Dana Orblowski, and I don't know... Where is faith is at? But one guy on his broadcast, he said, guys, he said, I know this is unusual, but I'm going to pray right now. And he bowed his head and prayed. And the other two people that were there, they just they bowed their heads too, and then they're like, that was good. You know? And I'm like, we can talk about prayer, but do we pray? You know, and, and that's what was going on in Jonah's day. People, people would, would, would say, man, I love the Lord, but when you ask them, well, what's your walk with God look like? Many of them would give you a blind stare and like, well, I go to the temple. What else is there? And again, we look at our world today. When you look at what's going on in Jonah's day, most people weren't fully committed to God. Jonah he was, until you get to verse 3. But the first thing, he's committed to God. Um, but again, when you think about what's going on in our lives, what, again, just from those two verses, what are some things that we can observe and apply to our lives today as people living in the United States in the year 2023? How can I make an application of those two verses? Phil. That could be what? Somebody could have been praying. 
I yeah. mean, how did your wickedness come up before that? Yeah, other than, you know, he obviously sees it all, but but maybe somebody is praying for them. I, I, as you were talking, I looked at that, and I thought, well, I wonder what happened. It come up before him. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, maybe, maybe somebody in that region was praying that, Lord, we need a revival here. And what did God say? My people, which have called my name to humble themselves to pray, I will turn from their wickedness and, and heal their land. And who knows if there were some godly people living, praying, Lord, send us a revival. We don't know. Did somebody else say him? No? Any other thoughts? Well, I got out of the other night. First of all, Jane was I hate to sound like I'm old, but all these people who have taken the knee to something else are now kneeling in the field. And when I first saw it, I got emotional. I kind of got choked up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if they're praying to our God, yeah. this is amazing. This is wonderful for the whole world to see. Yeah. But do they really know who they're praying to? Yeah. Or are they just praying? Yeah. And that's the bad thing. I know. I know. Yeah. And so compared to this story as well, Jonah's going to go to this country that was supposed to go there and tell these people. And, and you think about even uh, the, the former pope just recently passed away, and um, you know it was, it was noted that his last words were he whispered, "Lord, I love you," which is great. But that man died and did not go to heaven because he believed that Jesus was not enough to save. Highest, yes. Sincere when he believed, but he believed he'd get to heaven by Jesus, Mary, and good works. And again, he was not committed to Jesus Christ. He was committed to a religion, and, and, and it's sad. And we look at many people in this day and many people in our day, and you wonder, is there full commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jonah had that until you get to verse number three. So verse number three, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare there. And went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So technically, his plan is to go to Tarshish, right? 2,500 miles away. But twice it tells us really where he was going. Where was he going? Yeah, the opposite direction. He was going from the presence of the Lord. Twice in that verse. He went unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, paid the fare, went down in, went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What's the problem with that? 
disobedience, you can't get away from the Lord. Right? Psalm 139 reminds us of that. Let me, let me read that to you. Not to go back to if you don't want, but let me just read Psalm 139, verse 7. 7. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from my spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you'll never there. If I think the wings of the morning and dwell the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. No matter where I go, God is there. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 24 says this, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? God says, I am, no matter where you are, I'm there. If you think you can run from me, you can. And uh, why is he running from his appointed duty? Because he doesn't want to fulfill what God has for him to do. So he goes down to Joppa, a major seaport, it's the city of uh, Haifa today, uh, but it was called Joppa back in that day. And um, again, was he afraid of it in a way? Possibly, but it, it seems to be more that he just didn't want to do what God told him to do. Now, aren't you glad that you've never listened to the voice of God and said, no, I'm not doing that? We've all been there, right? We've all been Jonah. And... He goes down to Joppa, and notice this. He found a ship going to Tarshish. Um, I put these verses up here. I could have just showed you them, and I did. Oh, well. John Depp said this. Satan always has a ship waiting to take you someplace that God did not want him to be. Isn't that interesting? When I don't want to obey God, when I, when I have this sense that God is calling me to do something in my life, maybe he's calling me to um, witness to somebody, or maybe he's telling me to, to, to do something, or maybe he's telling me to stop doing something. Every time God gives me a call in my life to do something, to stop doing something, whatever it may be, same for you, every time Satan will make it easy for us to not do that. We will find a ship going to Tarshish. The opposite direction of where God wants us to be. And we don't typically think that, but this was a this was a clear call, right? Was there any way that Jonah could have misconstrued what God was telling him to do? His, this was a pretty clear call, right? I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it for the wickedness come up against it, right? Now, are there times that God may ask you to do something and you struggle to understand whether it's this or this? Do you ever struggle with God's will? Anybody ever struggle with God's will? Good, because I do. Sometimes we struggle with knowing what God will Is it this or is it this? We know it's not that way, right? We know He's leading me one of these two roads and just not 100% sure. And when you're not 100% sure about what God is doing, what can we do? Pray about it, right? Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in the Word of God. Spend more time counseling with people. Uh, seeking the multitude of counselors. Um, but again, here's Jonah. This is a clear call. 
And he knew it, and he said no. And I've done that, and you've done that in our lives. And we've got to be very careful that we don't, because when we know what God wants us to do, and we say, God, I'm not doing that, what has God obligated himself to do? This was. Because I'm his child, right? Hebrews 12 reminds us that if you are my child and you rebel against me, I have to chasten you. So that's what God is going to do with Jonah. He's going to have to chasten him. Um, so again, we have to ask ourselves, is there any ship in my life that is saying, hey, you can get on this ship, you can run from God, and I'll make it easy for you, or maybe we're even on a ship, spiritually speaking, that we know that God doesn't want us to be on. We need to say, God, I need to get off this ship. So again, did Jonah desire to go to Tarshish so that he could live a wicked, ungodly, immoral lifestyle out there? That wasn't his plan, was it? So what was his plan when he got to Tarshish? Blend in the crowd. Um, if someone be noticed by God, I just want to live out the rest of my days somewhat peace. Um, I'll pray. I'll serve. I'll do whatever I can. I'm just going to do it in a place where I want to be, not where God wants me to be. Would that have worked? Had he made it to Tarshish, could he have been a faithful member of Tarshish? Could he have been a, gotten involved in a synagogue out there and been used of God in a great way? Okay, yeah, but if, but if he's running from God, had he made it to Tarshish, got out there and, you know, started attending the synagogue, worshiping God, was, would God have looked at that and said, well done? No, he's in rebellion. But here's the thing. That goes on in our lives from time to time. When we know I'm not doing something I should be doing spiritually, or I am doing something I shouldn't be doing, and I'm rebelling against God in my heart, and I will not follow Him, and yet we just say, but I'm going to serve God anyway, and He can take it or leave it. What does God say? I'll leave it. Because unless our heart is committed to him, he can't use us. He doesn't want part of my heart. He wants all of it. Uh, Revelation 3. Let's, let's end with this one. Revelation chapter 3. Turn there if you would. Verse number 15. Verse 14. And under the angel of the church at lay of the lay of the sea is right. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and because and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Look at this. You don't even know, he says, 
that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thou shame and thy nakedness cannot appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesab, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. In that famous verse, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. That message is to a church, not to the world, not to the unbeliever. That message is to the church. I am knocking. I want to come in. I want to have fellowship with you. I know you think you're walking with me, he says, but you're not. You're lukewarm spiritually. And like they said, countless hundreds of football players Coaches, staff were on their knees praying to a God, and for many of them, God couldn't hear their prayers. Because some of them were, were living ungodly lives. Believers, unbelievers, God couldn't hear their prayers. Right? Because they had no relationship with Him. And yet, if we were to be honest and stop. And I, I hope all of us, I'm sure all of us pray to the Lord every day, but are there not times that we pray and God just says, I'm sorry, you're regarding iniquity in my heart. I can't hear you. And it's not that we have a desire to go live an ungodly, immoral, wicked lifestyle. Sometimes it's just God saying, there's this little sin in your life and I need you to get it right. Sometimes our attitude is, nope, anything but that. You can have anything but that. And God says, well, then I, I can't hear you. I can't use you. We can't have the fellowship like we're supposed to have. Because you're just like Jonah. And again, it's easy for me to look at Jonah's life and say, what in the world is he thinking? Well, I've been Jonah. And you've been Jonah. And God is calling us to do serious business to give God complete access to our heart and our life and let Him use us in great ways. And God's not going to call us probably to be a missionary to some wicked, immoral land to a bunch of people that we currently hate. But God does have a mission for every single one of us. And God does constantly asked us, hey, here's a situation. I want you to surrender. I want you to give me your heart. All of it. And sometimes we're content giving God 95%. Or maybe 70%. That's his But I want it all. And so we need to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any type of rebellion in my heart? None of us are perfect. And none of us make all the right decisions. But what God cannot tolerate is when we know what he wants us to do, and we say, I won't do that. That's rebellion. We've been there, and it's a battle that we face every day. And sometimes we say, Look, I know it's not rebellion, because I got on this ship, and I'm over here, and everything seems to be okay. And God says, no, 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 I, I will chase you. I will come after you, because I love you. So let's learn from Jonah. 
his mistakes, where he was from, what he was doing, his time culture was similar to ours. And there's a problem, because it's not about culture, it's about my heart in the midst of my culture. No matter what it is, we all face this battle. We wrestle with God like Jacob. And until we surrender, God will do it.